Hi, I'm Sean Smallman. Welcome to Dispatch 7, Global Trends on All Seven Continents. You can find Dispatch 7 on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Today we'll be talking with my student, Samantha Alarcón Bursuto, about her thesis on iron deficiency anemia in Peru. Sam, I'm really glad to have you on my podcast today. I've known you for about a year. Uh, for our listeners, Sam is a honors student at Portland State University, and her project is unusual to me, not only because she did her thesis research in Peru, but also because she wrote an undergraduate thesis that is perhaps more like an MA thesis. So Sam, um, thanks for, for joining me. And my first question is, what is anemia and who is most affected by it? Well, thank you, Sean, for um, you know inviting me to be podcast. First of all, to talk about anemia, we should talk about iron and the role that it has on the body. Um, to start us off, according to the NIH, um, iron is a mineral that the body needs for growth and, and development. So the body uses iron to make hemoglobin, uh, which is a protein in red blood cells that carry oxygen to all parts of the body. So without it, we wouldn't really be alive, quote unquote. You might inquire, you know, how much iron do we really need? And the amount of iron for the human body is based on your age, your sex, and whether you consume mostly a plant-based diet. For instance, um, if you're an infant and uh, you're constantly growing and you're going to, to need a lot of iron in your diet um, to develop fully. The same applies for pregnant women because they are literally creating life inside of them. And, and there have been several studies pointing out that lower iron stores in the mother affects the full cognitive development uh, of the children. And another component to be aware of is that uh, women of reproductive age uh, loses iron during menstruation cycles as well. And it is something that we want to be aware of when, when diagnosing for, for anemia and for iron defici deficiency anemia. Now that we are aware of the role of iron in the body, we can understand better what is the definition of anemia and what do we mean by iron deficiency and how does it manifest in our bodies. Anemia is defined as a, as a condition marked by a deficiency of red blood cells or hemoglobin in the blood. However, there is not only one type of anemia. There are multiple types that can be grouped as iron deficiency anemia, pernicious anemia, uh, aplastic or hemolytic anemia. Uh, but for the purpose of my project, I only focus on the first category, which is iron deficiency. Right. And one of the reasons that I focus on this kind of anemia is because, according to uh, Millman, it, it causes approximately 75 to 80 percent of the total boarding of anemias uh, in the world. As the name implies, uh, iron deficiency anemia is due to insufficient iron. Uh, without enough iron, the body can produce enough of a substance in, in red blood cells that enables them to carry oxygen. And as a result, iron deficiency anemia might leave us tired and kind of short of breath. Therefore, it is thought that the main way to get iron is from food. And individuals that eat a meat-based diet are not susceptible to become iron deficient. Uh, eating food Fortify with iron is also another way to enrich your diet. However, it all comes down to access and bioavailability of iron in the foods one consumes, particularly communities that live in poverty, 
have a limited access to previous iron channels, uh, which is coupled with a lack of awareness and also food iron inhibitors that we could talk about later in the podcast. Sam, can you talk a little bit uh, about who is most affected by anemia? Yes. Um, So there are four populations. We have newborn infants and young children um, who are like, you know, growing and developing and they they need a diet full of nutrients. Um, And the fetus and newborn infants iron status depends on the iron status of the mother. Another of the groups at risk, we have the adolescent females, uh, females who are not pregnant and of reproductive age are at a higher risk of developing anemia uh, due to the loss of iron during their menstruation cycles and also uh, developmental periods of growth and changes in diets to attain a slimmer body. We all know that whenever we hit, you know, our teenage years, we want to be as slim as possible. And that could also be another factor that adds to, to anemia there. Um, furthermore, if if iron uh, if an iron deficient female becomes pregnant, both the prevalence and the severity of anemia might increase remar- remarkably during pregnancy. From the interviews I heard, there are um, they don't really care much of, of going to do a checkup um, as long as their their menstruation cycle like stops. Um, they might wait until like the second trimester where they actually realize, oh, we're pregnant and then actually they have to go to checkups. And and it's really hard then to make a change, to be able to make a change in their diet and to be able to find ways to lower their iron stores. Um, Another of the groups and the one that I focus the most as uh, pregnant women and um, due to the process of their body, uh, of like that, that is going on, and the growing fetus, uh, the need of iron for pregnant women skyrockets. And you cannot really just prevent it with a diet full of meat and, and full of a lot of iron. Um, you might actually have to have an addition of iron supplements, um, and they have to be implemented to com- compensate for the loss of iron. Uh, pregnant women with anemia uh, means higher complications at delivery, higher risk of early preterm deliveries, and higher risk of delivering premature children with low birth weight for their gestational status. Um, So then again, since the beginning of um, gestational uh, pregnant women sort of process um, gestating, we are talking about just like the first steps and the onset of anemia. And in the last sort of group, uh, we have the postpartum lactating women, uh, this group is partially unrecognized um, in many parts of the world, um, and there are not there's not a lot of studies on what what or how are, are they are they are on stores have to be, um, but there is a direct link between uh, from a mom that has anemia to uh, anemia after uh, anemia during postpartum. Um, and in addition, um, the quality and quantity of breast milk relies on the proper nutritional status of the mother. And if, if, if infants are fed only with mother's milk, uh, just breast milk, they predictably will develop iron deficiency within six months. So there's got to be then another, st- like more studies to do in to how much postpartum lactating women are in need of iron. 
What happens with a child if um, at birth the mother has not had uh, enough iron and if during the postpartum period they, their mother also, while she's breastfeeding, is anemic? What kind of impact does that have on their life? One of the biggest impact I will say is uh, the cognitive development of the child. I guess there have been a lot of studies uh, of IQs of children, uh, children that are have had anemia growing up and children that didn't. And, and there is a huge difference there. The main sentence that a lot of people says, you know, if, if, if your children has anemia, he will be the last of the class. He, he will have a lot of problems understanding. He will have like poor memory and all of that. So um, it mainly affects the development of your brain. Why did you decide to uh, study this issue in Peru? Um, so we were just discussing that the burden of anemia, it's very disproportionate when it comes to looking at it from the world perspective. Um, and in addition to that, um, the data I, I gather from the WHO website, um, it looked at anemia and it didn't really give it enough attention, despite the fact that it affects a lot of millions of, of children and pregnant women um, every year. And uh, Peru is a country uh, located in in south in the South Hemisphere, and it's also considered a developing country. It has gone from uh, a history of Spanish colonialism, and it is currently experiencing um, the coronavirus pandemic in, in greater proportions. Um, Peru's healthcare system is is not the most up to date in equipment. Uh, we have several hospitals sponsored by the government who have very little money uh, dedicated to the health sector. Nonetheless, there is an um, health insurance offered for every citizen that qualifies for a certain level of poverty. The health insurance uh, that I pay the most attention to were the ones that cater to pregnant women and to children under five years of age. And um, these both insurance do cover a whole list of checkups and iron supplements and also micronutrients that are available for all insurance holders. Right. One of the issues there is that the government, for the government to be able to give you that insurance, you have to have a government issue ID. And um, not everybody has the means of, of getting an ID. And at the same time, most of the resources available are concentrated in the big cities. Um, so we're talking about another disproportion um, that comes between the rural and the urban side um, of the country. Um, so those are, that's kind of my first reason why I decided to focus um, this in, in Peru as a developing country. And another reason is that um, I, I am an international student from Peru. Uh, my mom works in the health field. And since I was very little, I have been exposed to her stories, uh, helping mothers giving birth, and also to the overwhelming amount of pregnant adolescent females. Can you talk a little bit about the experience of, of doing field work? How did um, people react to you? What was interesting or what was hard about that experience? Um, doing field work in Peru was very challenging um, just because I was coming from the perspective of a United States sort of uh, academic way of learning and going to Peru um, without really having, a, I don't know, like a health jacket or something that 
said the government is around, like it's it's behind me or it's helping me or supporting me at some point. Right. Um, it made it really difficult for me to really be hurt um, by the health officials or by even the moms that were just waiting in line to go to the consult. That was quite one of the main limitations. But due to my mom's line of work, I was able to interview her colleagues um, and they were willing to talk to me about about perspectives and perceptions of anemia specifically. Um, so I interviewed a total of 13 midwives uh, from a first and second tier hospitals. Um, first tier hospital stands for sort of a mix between education and health. And there's not a lot of procedures that are done there. Uh, it's mostly a lot of uh, prenatal checkups and, and nutritionist consults um, and any other sort of health issue that doesn't escalate to really have a whole procedure. Uh, on the second third hospitals is where I did the most of my interviews because uh, that's where my mom specifically works. And it was more catered to how or what are the steps that a midwife takes uh, whenever she has to treat a mom uh, that is anemic already or that has anemia. In between their shifts and in between... Uh, whatever they were doing, either watching the moms or going somewhere else, I was able to talk to them. Um, whenever I listen to my interviews, there is a ton of sort of like things moving around, people talking um, on the background. And, and sometimes I even had to stop the interviews because um, they had to go through an emergency or put a vein or something on the mom and then come back and talk to me. And But at the same time, I was able to, to, to get interviews uh, that happened right in, in, in the moment. Um, I asked them eight questions, pretty much just to get their perspective of anemia, um, about the incidence of adults and females uh, that are pregnant. Also, I wanted to know if the side effects of the iron pills really worked against the compliance factor, uh, which is necessary for iron supplements to work. And I also wanted to know, in their opinion, what were the main causes um, of anemia? As an aside... Compliance factor is the extent to which patients follow medical advice, such as taking iron supplements. A poor compliance factor indicates that patients are having difficulty taking the medicines or carrying out the actions that are important for their health. Can you talk a little bit about what you learned from your research? And could you also maybe say a little bit about what are those side effects of the iron pills? Yeah, um, for the side effects, we're talking about nausea. That's kind of one of the big ones that a lot of midwives express um, from consoles with pregnant women. And they also express that that nausea like escalates the, the sort of amount of pain that a, woman, a pregnant woman might feel. Um, other people mentioned that just the taste of it, it's very metallic. It's not really, you know, easy to, to eat or to drink. Um, yeah, those are kind of one of the main side effects. If we put a cultural lens on it, um, in my study, I found different ways of understanding anemia to start with, ways of understanding what it, what, it, what are the iron pills, and and how the cultural beliefs are placing to that um, a lot more. Uh, to bring an example, I'll say that in, in Nicaragua, uh, women from Nicaragua um, understand iron pills or understand iron as that very symbolically. So when we talk about iron pills, um, 
they immediately think of the, the metal, uh, like the mineral itself, and and they don't want to drink that because why would you drink that? Like it might, you know, break up your intestines or do something. And that's one of the main reasons why it will stop them to actually drink the, the iron pills. Um, another example is uh, from a study done by um, researcher Galloway. And she looked at different perspectives um, in countries in South America. They understand anemia as half little blood. And by adding iron, logically, you think that it will be adding more blood to your body. So, in, in fact, they didn't want to lose a lot of blood when they give birth. And the taking of iron pills would have added more blood in the logistically way of understanding. So that's another reason why they wouldn't really accept, you know, taking iron pills. Um, this cultural lenses and also um, the fact that women are not fully explained what are the I guess, like properties of, of having iron in your body um, and not really knowing why is it that important um, also comes from consults. And that's that's another thing that uh, during my interviews, the midwives express that there is th- there are a lot of patients that are like the government is sponsored, sponsoring the hospital. Um, there's a ton of poverty and everybody goes and, and tries to get a consult. Um, with the doctor and they don't have enough time to tell them these are the reasons why you have to take it and this is why it's important uh it is more based on here here are the pills you have to take them and then they go to the next patient so if if we're talking about women that don't really know the benefits of having iron in their body and the pills that they take cause a lot of side effects and don't taste good um plus we, we can talk about a diet that is not having a lot of iron content. Um, then then th- these are other layers that add up to, to the onset of anemia. So it sounds that there's a cultural aspect to uh, treating anemia as well. You can't simply look at it in terms of providing the pills, just giving it to the people, that it's, it's a bigger sort of systemic issue. Yes, yes. And, and that's another sort of... I guess, kind of understanding that I got after reading a lot of different perspectives and trying to solve this problem um, because it's been going on for kind of a, a long, long time now. Um, and there are forms that developing developed countries have, have found and fortifying foods is, is one way of possibly not having a lot of um, the population leading them to, to, to have anemia or iron deficiency anemia. Um, but there are a lot of controversies when it comes to developing countries and really knowing what are the things we want to fortify. Um, we don't really eat a lot of cereal. Um, and that's what I've noticed here in the United States. A lot of the cereals are fortified with a lot of vitamins and, and iron is one of them. Um, and, and, and in my country in Peru, I, we don't really have cereal in the morning. There's not really a, a diet that we were used to. Um, there's been sort of ways of thinkings and thoughts of trying to fortify rice, which is one of the grains that a lot of people do eat and then you find it in the diets of a lot of people. But the problem comes with iron inhibitors now. Grains, grains work as an iron inhibitor. And there are still, you know, studying the way that if we put iron in rice, 
like the grain itself, you know, inhibit the absorption of iron? Um, and how much can we really put in there? Because you cannot really just load up on iron as much as you can, and then you will be okay for the entire the entirety of your life. Um, and iron overload can also cause other diseases, other uh, effects on your body. You talked about um, grains as inhibiting iron. Are there other uh, food items that also inhibit the absorption of iron? Yes, yes. Uh, we have, for example, tea and coffee. Um, they are also iron inhibitors. And I've had uh, a lot of questions uh, when I talk to somebody about my research and they come and talk to me and it's like, how how long after I eat, I can I can drink tea or I can drink coffee? And, and um, they sort of recommended to drink it like 30 minutes after or 30 minutes before your meal. Uh, if you eat it with your meal, it will act as an iron inhibitor, but it will inhibit plant-based iron. It would not inhibit um, meat. Oh, no, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Because meat, meat has a meat factor that either uh, even helps helps uh, absorb the plant-based iron that you might be eating. What do you people ask you in general when you tell them about your research? One of the biggest questions that I always get is, um, how much iron do I need to be okay? And and that's something that I can't really just answer to them because you have to base it on your age and your sex and how uh, and, and what diet you, you're using. Um, it is recommended to have hemoglobin levels of over 12, um, but that also changes if you are living in a place that has um, kind of altitude. So that's another thing that I found during my interviews that there are people that are migrating from the highlands to the coast um, to and look for better opportunities and for a better life. And they come with a hemoglobin of 14 or 16. And, and they, they should be okay within the standards of the city level, uh, which is like 500 meters over sea level, um, because it is considered for you to be anemic when you are below 12. But since they come from the highlands with a 14 sort of hemoglobin, you're fine. They're not really looked up even more. But having the altitude component um, really can can cause another another problem there because you might not be looking at what what it really is uh, and what it, and if the if the person is um, has anemia uh, depending on the region that they're living. Well, Sam, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking with you. I've enjoyed working with you on this project. I think you've written something that's both important and also very well researched. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for listening to Dispatch 7. Please leave a comment below with episode suggestions or your thoughts on this topic. If you want to read Sam's full thesis, the link is in the show notes.